Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. How are you? Doing well, and we've made it. We made it to the halfway point of the NTT IndyCar Series season. Joseph Newgarden wins the Suncio Grand Prix at Road America. Also wins the People Ready Force for Good $1 million challenge. Which to, to um, break that down, so the team gets, what, a half a million, and then a charity gets a half a million dollars. Yes, correct? and he chose two. The serious was... fun camps and wags and walks in Nashville, I believe. Yeah. Good, good thing, good thing. Serious fun children's network, wags and walks Nashville. There we go. Very nice. So Joseph Newgarden wins now on a road course at Road America, a street course at Long Beach, and an oval at Texas. He's already done it, and we're not even halfway through the season. But shouldn't be a surprise. We'll have a stat later on detailing why he should have always been the favorite to uh, put together the People Ready Force for Good Challenge because of his uh, acumen across all three types of circuits. All right. We recap Road America, and we'll start with our three takeaways. And my first one, quite simply... Joseph Newgarden, when he's on, he's excellent. It's just getting consistency, and that's going to be, I think, the question mark for me as we go into the second half of the season. Winning three races, but then kind of middling results at other tracks. He has four top four finishes, three of them wins, and other than that, outside the top ten in the rest of those races. So that's why he's only third in the points. 32 back of Marcus Erickson, who reclaimed the points lead. Five back will power his teammate in second. But when he when he is on, he's excellent. It's just getting that consistency consistency down. I think that's kind of my first takeaway of what we've seen, not only in the race at Road America, but also the first half of the season. Well, feast or famine for Joseph Newgarden through the first day races, like you mentioned, and being able to win a tra- three races, but also struggling to get into the top 10 and the other ones. And that's pretty much the only reason why he's not leading the points at this point. But it was a great weekend for Joseph, particularly with those late restarts that you know gave an opportunity for Alexander Rossi to potentially get his first win in three years. And it really was never a contest. I, I mean... I think both of those yellows, those off the restart, or the restarts off the yellows, by the time they crossed the, the start-finish line, Rossi had no chance. And on the second one, Marcus Erickson was in the middle of passing Alexander Rossi for second. So I think it showed maybe not as much the deficiency of Alexander Rossi on the restarts, but just how powerful Joseph Newgarden was uh, throughout the race. And he even mentioned it after the race that, you know, Alex was good, but I was better. And we saw that late. I mean, he was in dominating fashion through most of the race and was able to hold off all challengers in relatively easy fashion down the stretch. What's your first takeaway? Well, let's talk about Marcus Erickson, because as you mentioned, now into the points lead, he gets a runner-up finish. And of course, he, he's, uh, he was boosted by the double points of the Indianapolis 500, in which he won. And right now, as, as we continue to look now at, at the point standings coming into focus in the championship race, Marcus Erickson making himself a legitimate contender for this championship. And now back-to-back years, we sit with a Chip Ganassi racing driver kind of surprising us in terms of being a championship contender. Last year, it was Alex Pillow, and he closed it out. This year, it's Marcus Erickson. Can he close it out, Caleb? 
I think the thing that's interesting too, yes, he's definitely buoyed by double points with the Indy 500 win, but outside of Joseph Newgarden, no one else has won more than one race. And right. Newgarden's in third, like we just talked about, because of a, a lack of consistency, feast or famine, as you said, on his season, it's a win or outside the, the top 10 for Newgarden. So it, who is going to step up? Who's going to become that first multi-race winner as we go into the second half of the season at Mid-Ohio starting on July 3rd and maybe tighten up this championship chase because it was really tight, uh, but now it's starting to get strung out. We're starting to see contenders and pretenders, and quite honestly, I mean, you could make a strong line for Alex Blow in fifth as the last kind of contender unless someone in that sixth, seventh, or maybe even eighth slot in Rosenquist, I mean, they're going to have to pick up a race win and maybe multiple race wins to even catch that league group. Well, and you, you mentioned, you know, Joseph Newgarden, you know, finishing outside of the top 10 at several races. But Marcus Erickson, we talked so much about the Indy 500 win, but through eight races, he has six top 10s and four top fives. So this is a guy that has avoided, by and large, bad finishes, except for, for a couple. And that's why he's in first right now in the points is not just that double points victory, but also being able to bring home top tens in six of the first eight races. What's your number two? My number two, how about Andretti Autosport as a team? Hey, how about that? More than one driver finishing in the top 10. They had, what, three in the top five. Yes, a a great day, great weekend for Andretti Autosport. Alexander Rossi, as you mentioned, his first pole in quite some time. You have him finishing in third, looking like it'd be second until those late restarts. You have Colton Herta in fifth, and that's overcoming starting outside the top 10 after he had an engine change. And it's kind of a wacky rule that IndyCar has. The engine was not repairable from the carb day crash. They waited to try to, they sent it back to Honda in California, tried to get it repaired, did not work. And so he had to take the sixth place grid penalty over the weekend. And we'll have to take another one too, as well, I believe later. So it's, it was a bizarre situation, but they made the best of it with the penalty because they couldn't repair it. They got the penalty. And so with that, that's why it wasn't served at Detroit because they were again, trying to work on the engine during that time. But all that said, that and having trouble seeing, he was given a towel on one of the pit stops. Didn't even work, according to him. Did it not work? I, I never heard the follow-up. Did not work. But all of that said, he gets a top five finish kind of on a bizarre day. And then you have Roman Grosjean uh, finishing in fourth. So first good result for him going back to Barber, uh, where he finished seventh. So after a difficult month of May and difficult Detroit, a finish that puts him now at 12th in the point standings, just a couple ticks ahead of Connor Daly in 13th, who himself has had a pretty solid run among the Ed Carpenter Racing Stable. But Andretti Autosport, a good day. Yes, Devlin Francesco had the run-in with Will Power. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, quite simply, don't hit someone from behind, but also what Power did after the race, I guess, really bothered me because I didn't know of any penalty uh, deemed from him banging wheels with DeFrancesco after the race ended and they showed it on the TV. It's not like it was some secret. Right. I mean, it was out there and everywhere. Yeah. It looked like unnecessary contact to begin with. And 
look, if that's what Devlin DeFrancesco was upset about and he just wanted to kind of give Will Power a nudge, it was way too hard of a nudge. It may just have been, you know, mistiming for for Devlin DeFrancesco as well. But going back to Andretti Autosport yes. real quick, this is what's expected for Andretti Autosport, right? Maybe not three in the top five, but they should have routinely two or three, probably three drivers in the top 10 most every race, right? So how does this team find the consistency? We talked about Joseph Newgarden finding that consistency. How does this team find the consistency? Because I don't think we should sit here and, and jump up and down for Andretti Autosport because this should be the norm week in and week out. Yeah, absolutely. And Rossi, I mean, that's his first poll since Detroit 2019. So even before his last win at Road America and Rossi's found something. I mean, it does it feel like he's going to win a race this year? Because I, to me, it kind of feels like he will. Yeah, I feel like it. And we talked about it last week. Like, I don't know if the burden of his future off of his shoulders matters, or maybe it's just kind of the... What I really look at it as is it they're, they're all it's just carefree. Everybody knows this is the last run, right? So Rossi has nothing to I wouldn't say nothing to race for, but mentally he's moving on for Andretti. So he's probably like, you know what, I'm just gonna drive the way I want to drive and see what happens. And I think maybe some some of the burden is off of his team too, because they know this is the last ride with uh, Alexander Rossi, and maybe that's unburdening a lot of these guys that have felt the pressure of this losing streak and it felt like they've let Rossi down. And, and, and I'm sure there's, you know, we've heard about internal strife within the team and Alexander Rossi, all that's probably out of the window. Everybody's just, it's, it's more carefree. Let's just go out and do our job and not worry about this, that, or the other. And I think you're seeing that on track. It's a great point. You brought up the, the crew. I mean, it's not just their driver in the car. Yes, they have to perform and eliminate mistakes, but, you know, they had a lot of mistakes on strategy, on the pit crew, on pit stops. And it just seems like, one, I understand they're getting more consistency in the crew that is brought to each race weekend. That was an issue at the start of the season for his car. And like you said, the pressure is kind of off. The future is settled for that driver. So the crew guys kind of know what the expectation is and they can just go out, execute, not have to put so much pressure on themselves because think about it. I mean, if, if you work for that team, I would hope and think that you want that driver to stay as part of your team. And so you put pressure on yourself to help them get better results because what you do also impacts how they perform, how they finish. Obviously the pit stops are critical and yeah, they, they unfortunately had Scott McLaughlin, Coming in as Rossi was trying to exit, and that probably gave Newgarden the lead. At least it would have been closer uh, during the, the early sequence of pit stops at Road America. But all in all, three straight top fives, two straight podiums. He finds himself seventh in the championship, only six back of Dixon in sixth. He seems to be a contender now, you know, week in, week out since the Indy 500, and maybe just everything coming together. Everyone being able to move forward, not just the driver, because the driver is known for quite some time. And we discussed that last week, but also the crew, I think is a great point. The crew having the ability to know the future's decided. We can just go out, execute, do our job. To me, that can only help you. Yeah, definitely. Ready for my number two? Yes. Speaking of teams that definitely needed a boost is Ray Hall, <laughs> Letterman, Lanigan yes. Racing. I don't know how much praise we can heap upon them considering they still sit 
15th, 16th, and 20th in the standings. But at least for Graham Rahal, it was a refreshing weekend for him, um, finishing eighth and moving through the field. Once again, had to do it because he qualified terribly. But at least, you know, two drivers in the top 10, counting Christian Lungard, Jack Harvey 13th. It was a positive weekend for Rahal Letterman Lanigan. Yeah, Graham Rahal, as you mentioned, top 10 finish, Lungard's second best finish of the year. He extends his rookie of the year point standings. And I guess for both of us, I'd say our expectation for him, if he wins the rookie of the year standings, I mean, he checks that box, right? Sure. I mean, he probably has the best car. You could argue that Malukas has a similar you know, quality level car. But for Lungard to pick up his second top 10 of the season, led, led a lap as well in the race, he's been pretty consistent. He's not making a lot of mistakes. And for Jack Harvey, yes, it's only 13th, but that ties his best finish of the season. He was 13th at St. Pete, also 13th, the Indy GP. So it's progress, and it's progress for the entire team. And last week, we, what, lambasted them? I mean, is that the right <laughs> word? I mean, we, yeah. we just went all out like this team is bad right now i feel like we said a lot of the things that graham ray hall and that team are thinking he came out and said you know we don't have enough engineering crew which you then responded to me then why did you expand to three full-time cars if you weren't going to have the personnel right i mean that just makes sense so yeah having the sponsorship money is fine but if you don't have enough money to hire enough competent engineering guys or girls then maybe you shouldn't be expanding to three cars. Yeah, Graham Ray Hall telling Marshall Pruitt of Racer.com before the Road America race weekend, they're thin, and that's the word he used, thin, on engineering. But that was kind of the only thing he laid out. They obviously have great partners. They are building a, a new race shop in Zionsville. They have younger drivers, at least on the, on the other end, Graham Ray Hall probably headed toward the end of his full-time IndyCar career in not too many years, one would guess. But like you said, if you're thin on staff, then did you overexpand just because you have the partners doesn't mean you can get it done. I mean, look, they've been trying to hire people during the season. Sure. It's not a secret. Like the job postings are public. not something you want to do. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And that's, that's pretty tough. And so for this team, they're making progress, but the work's not done. And I mean, Graham Rahal is a driver that could easily be finishing in the top five competing for podiums. I mean, that's what he's done since 2015, right? So he's on the cusp with a couple more good results, but on the cusp of cracking near the top 10. I mean, that's how competitive it is. It's not like you can start from being behind and make up a lot of ground. This is not a team that's going to be competing for race wins by the end of the season. Right. Right. I mean, I think that's safe to say now if Graham Ray Hall is competing for top fives and podiums by the end of the season, I think they will have made steady progress. If it's still just hovering around the top 10 for him. And then the other guys, maybe in an occasional top 15 performance with a a top 10 sprinkled in here or there. I mean, it, it just feels like, well, they made incremental progress, but they need massive progress here you know, with testing and with mid Ohio coming up here in the next few weeks, they need to make massive progress and it starts on the engineering side and it starts with the driver performance side too. I mean, we can't just blame, Oh, we're thin on engineers. Like everyone has to perform team effort. Yeah. And we've seen 
drivers make mistakes this year when having a good car or feeling as if they could have a better finish than they did by based on driver error. I mean, we saw that at, we saw it with uh, with Graham right just a yeah. couple weeks ago. So the, everybody has to elevate their game. But you know, when we go into this unofficial kind of mid season break here over the next three weeks, you look at Rahal Letterman Lanigan and Andretti Autosport that both feel pretty good about their performance heading into this break, which is a lot better than underperforming once again and then not returning to the track for three weeks. All right, my third takeaway. Let's talk Marcus Erickson versus Alex Pillow. Okay. Early incident in the race, and Alex Pillow in the interview said, we can play this game as well, so we'll see. Look, Erickson's ahead in the corner. <laughs> When you, you look at the, the replay, I, which, I just, which Pillow admitted he hadn't seen it yet. Now, I don't yeah. know if during the course of the interview, they showed him on the little TV there and he saw it. I'm not sure, but he was decidedly uh, placing blame on his teammate there. Yeah. Like don't take out your teammate rule number one, but also this is not something that that is good, you know, within the team and, and Plow basically telling racer.com that, you know, they talked Monday, everything is fine. Plow said, I think my reaction was not a good reaction, obviously, as everybody could see. It's not like you can have an opinion on it. The Iraq the reaction was not good. Hey man, I liked it. Nothing though. wrong I mean, though. I liked the I liked seeing a fiery Plow. Right? We don't see that fiery Plow. We were able to see it now. It was it was it was unfortunately aimed at his teammate and he was wrong, but he admitted it. But with the fact that we were able to see a reaction out of Alex below, and let's be honest, that was a tap that we see nine times out of 10 is nothing. And that was just a bad hit to bent his suspension. But, you know, we saw Callum Eilat hit a couple of weeks ago when he went into the barrier and a lot harder hit and none of the suspension was damaged. So unfortunately it was a bad angle or whatever happened. Bad luck for those two uh, drivers, but like, yeah, I, I felt like it was good to see some sort of emotion out of a guy that uh, is cool, cool, calm, and collected, like Alex Pillow. Unfortunately, it was pretty much his fault. Yeah, I mean, racing incident. Uh, no, no penalties were needed or warranted in that situation, but it is interesting that we're seeing a guy. And granted, he just won the eighty five hundred, so he's gonna kind of have more attention, right? It almost feels like there's yet again, as you mentioned earlier, another shift in the team (laughs) on who is the lead guy. Who's kind of in charge. The most weak to weak things. And Erickson making that move, getting it done, Plow getting knocked out. Not only is Dixon miffed at his performance, but now Plow is miffed at that move. And it seems like you have a team where, we thought it would be kind of more on the Andretti side, right? With Herta right. on it and, and Rossi maybe a, a step behind those two, but it's been completely reversed on the Andretti side, completely reversed on the Ganassi side is who's been the top dog so far. And I think it's just been fascinating to watch and will be fascinating to watch because Polo and Dixon are still winless on the season. Right. And I think, you know, following up too with, with what we saw with those two, I would really like to see a concerted effort by media. And this isn't just a, a, a thing with NBC. I think you see it in a lot of racing circuits and formats is the driver should be allowed to see the replay before commenting on an incident. 
Because I think in a lot of these instances, if they haven't seen it yet, their opinion will change after they see it. And I think this is one of those things. I think if if Alex Pillow would have been allowed to see the replay before having a microphone shoved in his face, I don't think we have the same reaction. And this isn't the first time, nor will it be the last time. I understand where it fits and you want those first comments and you know they're still heated or whatever. Those emotions are still there. But not being able to see the replay and asking people what happened, drivers what happened, Half the time, they don't know. They can't comment clearly. And the other half of the time, they have a misguided opinion of what happened. So I think there should be a greater effort by NBC to allow these drivers, every one of the sideline or you know pit reporters have a little TV that follows them, allow these drivers to see the replay before they comment. Yeah, I think that would be pretty helpful for the drivers to say something and actually mean what they're saying and not just be frustrated. Yeah. Cause they're going to be frustrated regardless. Absolutely. I mean, this is one of the only sports where they shove a microphone in your face after you've essentially failed. Yeah, pretty much. And say what happened and you really, your only opinion of what happened was sitting in a cockpit. It's difficult, but uh, going to my number three, wanted to talk about the two women in the field, Simona and Tatiana Calderon. You know, first time in a long time that we've had two women start an IndyCar race. I felt like uh, it, it was a rough day for Tatiana, who I think had four penalties. Yes, four penalties. Four penalties. But once again, I, I you know, she's still learning on the fly. And for better or for worse, Tatiana is hardly ever in the picture. And I think we can look at Jimmy Johnson as sometimes or a lot of times in the picture for the wrong reasons. And at least Tatiana is bringing home more often than not a complete race car, and she's learning. And then, you know, Simona Di Silvestro is the first of three races for Pareto Autosport in partnership with Ed Carpenter Racing. You know, they they lacked pace throughout the weekend, but bringing it home 21st, staying out of trouble, moving up through the field as attrition took other drivers out, I feel was a good debut for that team in their first race outside of the 500, correct? No, first race, well... First race of this season, first race Correct. for the team outside of last year's Indy 500. Yeah, Correct. that's what I mean. Yeah, and, and not just that she moved up through the field, the fact they didn't have any mechanical issues after starting dead last, finishing 21st on the lead lap. I think yeah. that's the part that Which is, is a really, huge track. really impressive for, when, <laughs> when it's on a four-mile track like Road America. Sure. I mean, it's easier to stay on the lead lap at a four-mile track than, you know, a two-mile track. But yeah, I, I think coming out of the weekend, I feel... Kept the car intact, learned a lot, got a lot of data, and now you move on. So I thought it was a successful weekend for Simona Di Silvestro. And I think at the very least, what Tatiana Calderon is, she's been able to bring home complete race cars. And I feel like with a team like AJ Foyt and her experience or lack thereof, in a lot of ways, that's a good thing. Well, not crashing the car, step one, when you're a rookie, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. I mean, for anything, for for any driver, right? Don't continuously crash the car, and she's definitely not done that. All right, that wraps up our three things. We'll talk other notes, TV rating as well. I mentioned and teased earlier Joseph Newgarden's career success, this courtesy of Trackside Online, saying it's not overly surprising that Joseph Newgarden won the People Ready Force for Good Challenge. His 23 wins have been spread evenly between the three different types of tracks. His victories include nine wins on ovals, Eight wins on road course, six wins on street circuits. Very balanced, huh? Yes. And that's what makes him one of the great best drivers in the series is his versatility, which we talk so much about this series 
and having several different disciplines that you need to be good at. Joseph Newgarden has shown that he can be adept at all three. All right, let's talk some of the other incidents and, and notes from this race. First off, Pato Award looking like a top 10 finish. Engine and car let go. This from Nathan Brown says, according to Team Chevy, his engine was refired after the race seemed to be functioning okay. Chevy and Aaron McLaren SP suspect it may have been an electrical issue that ended his day. They took it back to Detroit. The engine that is, they expect to run it again. So award uh, after starting fifth, running top 10 most of the race, listed as a mechanical as he finishes second to last. Also, over the weekend, we talked about it. Will Powers comments. He said, I think they should park him for a bet of Devlin Francesco." And I guess, um, one, Com Will is gone. <laughs> Two. Well, he wasn't th- throwing up middle fingers and throwing <laughs> bottled water. So I guess that's progress. Two. Like what, like, what good does that do? That just makes him more inexperienced. I feel there is a point within Will's comments that Devlin DeFrancesco doesn't have a lot of experience in Indy cars. He was only one year in Indy lights. Probably needed another year. Yeah, I would. I think a lot of people can agree with that. But he has shown competency out there at times. I think he's also He's learning. not qualifying so far behind. I mean, look, he qualified... 21st finish 18th like he's not so far off the pace like we've had with drivers in the past in IndyCar I think you got to go back a few years for for someone like that Um, I mean he's a he's a guy that brings money and is probably in a seat that he is yet not yet fully capable of performing at a high level in there and but you know what racing has had that throughout its history right yes guys that are in seats that you say man He's probably not ready yet, but he's here anyway. And, you know, I I mean, if he was a danger out there, if he was a, you know, moving chicane and and really endangering himself and others, I could see that. But the guy's just learning on the fly and making some bad judgments. And you know what? We we see that all the time. I mean, I think Marshall Pruitt was the one that pointed out with Takuma Sato, who had a lot of experience in Formula One coming over here and really having a hard time. So that's a guy with dozens of races at formula one that was coming over here and learning a craft. So just because you, you're experienced in one discipline doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be ready from step one for an entirely different one. And we remember Takuma Sato's first season back in 2010 with the, the KV racing Lotus car because it was so bad that they, they even like had a, a, a YouTube video, I think, that someone put out. It was like every crash he'd had with like the circus music. I mean, it was like a thing. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. I do. Yes. So Maybe, that was a yep. thing. Mm-hmm. So for, for people who've been watching IndyCar a long time, you recall how bad it was. If yes. I mentioned that, you'll know. Um, so yeah, with DeFrancesco, I, I guess to me, Power loses his argument by what he did, did in the post race. If that doesn't warrant some sort of penalty for Mid Ohio Race Weekend, like I, I give up. Really? Yeah. Like seriously, you feel like him calling out a driver like that? No, no, no. What he did on track. True. Yeah. Like if that is not deserving of some sort of penalty, whether it's for a practice session. Well, he where, said he was going to get. You know, I can't wait to see him on track. And- yeah. Well, he he should have track time reduced. Something. There needs to be some sort of punishment. Because to me, it was so blatant what he did. And, and Francesco was already punished, right? He yes. got a stop and go. Yeah. 
penalty. So, and people will comment, well, that's not as bad as being taken out. I understand. And other than the front wing, you know, and some minor damage, like it wasn't a, he didn't completely wreck a race car. He got back out there. Yeah. I, I just, to me, if there's no punishment for power who had a rough weekend before that, he didn't qualify right. well. Qualified 15, finished 19th. I mean, I mean there has to be a punishment. You shouldn't be able, be allowed to retaliate like that and not be penalized. I would agree. Absolutely. This is not NASCAR. No. <laughs> no. I mean, it just, I, I'm sorry. Like that, that cannot stand. Like we can't just let that go on its own and have no punishment. Anyway, that, that's, that's my agree. rant on that. Okay. Some other notes from the weekend. We talk about, oh, there are X number of passes and, Everything's great. So here's the stats from Nathan Brown. 226 total on-track passes just off last year's series record at Road America of 231. And again, these numbers only go back to 2016, Brown clarifies, because that's when IndyCar returned. 191 passes for position just off last year's record of 194. All right. At Garpin Racing, they made their 300th and 301st starts in the series over the weekend. Road America overall... Mike Kircher, the track president, 25% increase in ticket sales leading into the weekend's event. That reported on racer.com. No crowd estimate, but when drivers are saying it's the biggest crowd they can remember and on par with pre-split era crowds, that's that? that's saying something. And that's something that, you know, they do, they have a cup date, right? Yes. So that's great to see because the worry is always... Well, once they have an NASCAR race, it's going to take away from the IndyCar race. And that's kind of what our concerns are with Gateway, right? Yes. So hopefully we see Gateway continue to have a successful IndyCar event in terms of, of crowd that Road America is being able to do after adding Cup. Yeah, we shall see because Gateway attendance, and they've been hurt by the pandemic, just like most tracks have been, and especially on an oval where... I mean, it's not like you can spread out like people who are concerned about social distancing. You can't spread out very well. Now, with that likely out the door as far as being a concern for a lot of fans, they can return. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes with Gateway. But yeah, that is something to be nervous about. This pointed out from an Indy 44 screenshot from the broadcast. Poll winners this year. And we've had, what, eight now in eight races? Which is a record for... IndyCar slash cart slash whatever you want to call it. That's the most in a season, and it's through the first eight races. Yes. Isn't that crazy? And you go back to, what is it, 19, was it 61? Where they had nine for nine? Really? I think so. But the average finishing position of the bull winner this year, 10.86. Not good. And now that'll go up a little bit with Rossi finishing third, but still, that's pretty yeah. terrible. Last year, it was 5.63, so not quite half. <laughs> so it goes to show that this year is a little different when it, when it comes to the on-track action and being the pole winner. Not- Which is refreshing because, you know, we all know a series that if you start on the front row, you got a pretty darn good chance of winning the race unless something crazy happens, right? Yeah, V8 supercars, right? <laughs> V8 supercars. <laughs> and, of course, Formula One. So oh, yes. The yeah. fact that... I would think the average finishing position for Formula One for their pole starters is something like three or four. And that has to be, you know, Ferrari probably bringing that number down a little bit with their mechanicals. So the fact that it's 
just above 11 going into last weekend's race, probably now up to, you know, maybe seven, eight or nine is pretty incredible and shows the unpredictability between Saturday and Sunday with IndyCar races. All right, let's talk TV ratings. Hey, hey, over a million. All is good. Moving on. <laughs> I mean, we, we got to get into the numbers a, l- a right. little bit more than that. But yes, essentially to sum it up, 1.11 million viewers for IndyCar at Road America. That's total audience delivery. Most watched edition of the race since 2019. Which it should be because the other ones are on NBCSN. Correct. And when you look at IndyCar on the season of 5% compared to last year and most watched season since 2017, as I mentioned, it's off slightly from that number 1.721 compared to 1.760. I mean, which considering what seven of the first eight races have been on network, correct? Yes. It's not that good. All brought down by the poor Indy 500 TV rating. Doesn't help. But I think we so we said at the beginning of the year with the schedule laying out with 14 of 17 races on network, anything below double digit growth was not good for IndyCar. So they have some work to do in the second half of the season. So streaming on Peacock, when you look at that, and again, you would expect this to be up because I don't think they even allowed streaming on Peacock races until after the Indy 500 last year. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, they added that later in the season, but most streamed IndyCar season on record. Again, you would expect this. Average minute audience, which I guess is the metric, 60,900 viewers, Indy 500, 218,800 viewers, AMA. And then that includes streaming on NBCSports.com, NBC Sports app as well, along with Peacock. So numbers, good. TV uh, only audience peaked 1.279 million viewers, household rating of 0.69. Mid-Ohio. That will kind of be the next test. Usually they get a good rating, surprisingly, on July 4th weekend Yep, in, in years past. And you hit the million threshold, you hope for a 1.2. I mean, that's kind of like the, the goal, but you check off that box of getting over a million viewers. So I guess all is well. And look, the TV rating was always going to be bad for the Detroit race being on USA. So they made up some of that ground. 13,000 streamed Road America on Peacock. 7,000 last year, so nearly doubling that number on the first availability of, of that, I believe, was either Road America or Detroit of last year. So you're making gains. That's good. No complaints. Not, not at all. Um, look, any growth is good. To 5% is better than a 5% decrease, definitely. I just, hopefully, NBC is seeing what they want to in terms of the ratings to say it is an, a solid investment going forward to put over a dozen races on network. I don't have the answer to that. I don't know what in their mind is a successful season in terms of ratings, in terms of eyes on product to say going into 2023, yes, we're going to do another 14 races on NBC. So outwardly we can say it's not good or it is good or whatever. We can have that debate. But internally, what is the expectations and is IndyCar meeting those expectations? And maybe we'll have Adam Stern on the show at some point uh, to, to maybe he can give more insight, but may, he may not even know at this point what NBC is looking for and if they're getting what they want. 
Also, you have to keep in mind, because the NHL is no longer on NBC, they had some open slots on the schedule, most notably Sunday afternoon, early afternoon in particular, uh, matchups that would have been on NBC. And so that kind of frees up some TV time earlier in the season, obviously, True. NHL in the Stanley Cup final right now. But that does free up some earlier time slots looking at the, the spring and early summer for IndyCar to be on NBC. And I think that probably played a role because NBC said, hey, we can expand sports programming and fill in those gaps. Yeah, definitely. So hopefully, you know, long term, hopefully this NBC is is getting what they want from these and it, it bodes well for 2023. So growth is good. Numbers are good this past weekend. Are they good enough for next year to see this many races on network? I have no clue. Caleb has no clue. Just wait and see. But interestingly, coming out just a couple days ago is the MLS deal with Apple TV. And you've said it in particular, Caleb, that you know, the future of streaming with sports is going to, you're going to start seeing entire leagues move into entire series, move into the streaming realm. MLS is the first one to make that jump and they're getting paid an astronomical amount of money from Apple TV. Was it 200 million a season? 250 million a season, 10 year, $2.5 billion deal. Isn't that crazy? Now, yeah. how many games is that over the course of, what do they play? 20, 25 games per team. And then, you know, roughly and you have what 26 28 teams a size of of league yeah so that's a lot look that's a lot of we can't say indycar could get that from whoever 250 million like that no because the amount of games that that apple tv is getting for mls but does that set the market number now for leagues that may look towards getting an mls deal like 250 million dollars per year for 10 years is a huge amount of money for a league like the MLS. Now the MLS, like IndyCar has in the past, and I, I can't remember where this stands, but they're paying for production costs. Ah. So, so that takes a chunk of the money away. A little bit, but you know, you know, something is being mentioned, I think, in the GM meetings or what ownership meetings going on in MLB right now is is Major League Baseball talking about what they need to do to make games more accessible to fans. And these regional cable networks, I think, they're a thing of the past. I think they're going to be starting to go away because they're not ideal. Um, I cannot get, what is it, Bally Sports or whatever yeah, it is now. Same. Ohio. I can't watch Cincinnati Reds game. Now, I can't watch the Pacers or the Reds and haven't been able to since the summer of 2020. Right. So now, at this point, do I want to watch the Reds? I mean, they're playing better, but they're still in last. I don't know if that's a good question, but what, I, what I'm saying is the accessibility of your favorite team, Reds, Pacers, whatever, is not good right now so indycar is easily accessible five dollars a month yeah by and large yeah and it's the same with apple tv plus now we don't know if you have to have the mls season pass and then you get it through that or if you pay the five dollars a month do you get every match i don't think you do with that deal and if you get the season pass they'll have some that are free matches on Apple TV and some that are team specific where you may have to have a season pass, but also they're integrating the radio call into every broadcast, which is cool. Right. You can do like a national feed or a local feed. Nice. And I think the, the other interesting part is that with this, I mean, you're still going to have like TV options. Like they're still going to have games on ESPN and Univision. Like oh, that, really? that part's not leaving. They okay. just haven't 
agreed to those deals yet. So for example, IndyCar, like the Indy 500 is still going to be on network. And if you get a deal kind of like they had with ABC in years past, where it's five races, including the Indy 500 on network, then everything else on a streaming service. I mean, does that not sound like the future of the TV deal and the streaming deal here in three, four, five years? Yeah, especially for leagues and series that aren't making NFL money in terms of advertising on television, right? If they can get a big payday like the MLS just did from a streaming service, then it's advantageous to do that, right? Absolutely, because like you said, you you get more money to make up for the lack. Now, I don't think the IndyCar teams in the series is at a point where they can do an all-streaming deal and just have the Indy 500 and a handful of races on network TV, the sponsors would all leave. I mean, they're not in position for that. But something to keep an eye on in the future. A couple other notes from Road America before we move forward. This in from MarshallPrudivRacer.com. Road America evaluating turn five after Christian Bogle's Indy Lights wreck. If you have not seen the video of that, look it up. It is wild. Just shredded the fence. I've watched that several times, and I'm not sure why Christian Bogle even went on the curb. He didn't get pushed over there. I just don't think he knew that it was going to, I mean, obviously he didn't know it was going to launch him like that. I think he thought it was, it was level with the, with the track service, not, to, not a huge bump. So it wasn't like he got forced over there or, you know, bumped and lost control. And went, he just kind of went over there and launched him. And it was like a, I compared it with you to like a, opening a spam can, like, you know, with the <laughs> fencing, it was, uh, it was pretty wild. And what it ended up being like a four hour track delay. They had to finish the lights race after the IndyCar race. Yeah, and the IndyCar race unaffected, but it's it's kind of amazing that it was unaffected because it was a pretty sizable repair. You have to remember, they're evaluating this turn five. They're getting a repave, so there'll be a lot more grip, so we should have the ability to approach lap records, maybe not reach them because I think they were set in like 2000 or 2001 in cart. Yeah. But they'll have the ability to approach them. That will be something to keep in mind for next year's race. And on the TV side, we didn't mention this. NBC affiliate in Indianapolis missed the start of the race. See, I saw that tweeted somewhere and like, I didn't miss the start of the race. So what happened in Indy? They had some sort of paid programming that didn't finish up until one o'clock. And (laughs) I guess my understanding is, and I've heard this, you have only so much time in the week to get the paid programming in. And it's like they (sighs) ran out of time and put it before. Which the race started earlier than it was scheduled to start. Right. Because the, the, the pre-race show started at 12. 12.30. 30. Yeah. Okay, was it two weeks ago that the race started early? May have been. It was 12, and then it was supposed to start at 12. Anyway, yeah, that's not an IndyCar problem. That's an affiliate problem, so... So, WTHR. Um, I'm sure the phone shocked. was ringing uh, quite a bit yes, on Sunday. Yes, very, very shocked by that move. At least there were some yellows early to kind of delay, so... So, how, how much of the race did lot. they miss? I mean, just like the first like five minutes or so, because they okay. came on at one. The green flag was what at twelve fifty five, maybe something like that. Eastern, yeah, because yeah, what there were three four full course yellows in the first eight laps. Yeah, but so still. at least the fans didn't miss a ton. But they missed the entire pre race then. Yes, man. For somebody, the, somebody's the flagship market of the sport. Somebody's getting fired. <laughs> That's Hopefully wild. that does not happen again. But yes, I understand fans' frustration now. Again, counterpoint, streaming on Peacock, you're not missing anything. Five bucks a month, folks. Anyway, any other uh, thoughts from Road America? 
But it was a good race, good crowd, good way to enter the, you know, semi-informal summer break. Yes, and I forgot to mention one other thing. Wisconsin football, some of the Badgers players were there at Road America as well, so they got to hang with Scott McLaughlin and Team Penske. Very nice. So very cool for them to take part in that as well. All right, well, if you agree or disagree with some of our opinions, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us online. Our Twitter handle is IndyCar Podcast on Facebook. Search for us, like us, New Track Record. IndyCar Podcast on Instagram as well. Our website is NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for our email list so you never miss an episode or any special announcements. While you're there, check out the store as well. We have stickers and shirts for sale. Plus, you can also support us via Patreon. Thanks to Cole and Rob and others who are supporting us on there. We have four different pricing levels that are convenient and best fit your options. Patreon.com slash NewTrackRecord. And as always, you can follow us on your favorite podcasting platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you find your podcasts for free. Okay, Justin, mailbag time, and we start with Rate the Race, as always, after a race weekend. How would you rate the race? Man, it seems like I'm hovering in this area for most of the season, but I would probably give it a seven and a half. It's probably where I'm at. I will go eight only because I thought it was slightly more entertaining than Detroit. Okay. I I don't know why I think that. I just think you had multiple restarts. I guess I'm factoring in that we've had plenty of road America races that have run caution free. True. And this one had multiple cautions. Last year was caution free. It had, you know, restarts at the end It had restarts at the beginning. You had different strategies it was easy to follow strategy wise compared to Detroit, at least as far as a casual fan perspective, Detroit, I understood what was happening, but if you're not one of those in a caution free race on a street circuit, I right. mean, it's kind of a lot. So I'll give it an eight. I felt like I gave it a, a, an extra half point for the cautions at the end with the late restarts, but there was no overtaking there, at least for the lead. So I didn't give it a full point bump. But that definitely added some intrigue late. All right. Go through uh, your submissions on Rate the Race on Twitter. DC Soda said, made it to the track for the second year in a row. And it's such a cool place. Catching up on all the action I didn't see probably puts it at a seven and a half. More drama for the lead at the end would have bumped it up a good amount. P. Gaynor 14 gave it a seven and a half. Good, but leader was untouchable. Tough to pass all day. Jeremy from HBG says eight. Good battles through the field. Unfortunately, NBC's director kept not showing them. According to Stitch, give it a seven. A ho-hum race at Road America is better than a good race at some other tracks. True. NK Harden gave it a six and a half. Fun action in the beginning and great five laps at the end. But the middle was total domination by Newgarden. This track is tough to cover because there was probably action all over the track, but it's too big to ever hope to catch or capture it all. That's a good point. Yeah. Four mile road course. It's, it's more like an F1 track than an IndyCar track with, with the size. Daniel SEM 2004 gave it a six. Thought it would be interesting with all the cautions, but Newgarden just drove away from everyone. Jeff Zerneski, seven and a half to eight. There was speed, strategy, bumping, and drama. Good mix to keep the race interesting. Rossi was anointed the winner by the media before the race, so it was good to see the race did not end that way. And I, I also have to point out that's back-to-back races that I myself have picked the winner. Yes, that, that is true. That is true. Now, we both picked a willpower at Detroit. And I took Joseph Newgarden last week, so uh, I'll brag where I can. 
Yeah, hot streak. Now, did I? This is the frustrating thing. Did I bet Joseph Newgarden to win the race over the weekend? No, no, I did not. I picked him on the podcast and didn't bet on him. What an idiot! <laughs> well, you've you've learned your lesson at least with that. Let's hope so. Hunter's Way sixty-seven gave it a seven. Didn't seem like much passing, but maybe it was just NBC missing it. Bum Felix didn't get on the push to pass button more that last restart. Yeah, that was puzzling, right? Yeah, that was, and I think it was Townsend Bell that brought that up, is why is he not on the push to pass? And I don't know if he was ever asked that. I don't know if he had an issue with his push to pass or something. It didn't make any sense. Fuel was no longer an issue due yeah. to the caution, so it, that was puzzling. Mike Jarrett, 33, gave it a 10. Sig Domer gave it an 8. Laser Disco said, I'm sticking to my original rating, which was, might be jumping the gun on my rate the race, but I'm going to give it a solid 27. <laughs> Human Specter 1, give it a 7. Uh, I give it a 7 for how much I love this track. The race was decent, and I thought Herta was making it interesting. Also true. According to Stitch, uh, we actually already covered that one. JT underscore Air 28. 8, but the Indy NBC missing the start of the race to show something else was absolutely ridiculous and should be called out. JT, we've done the work for you. Don't yes, worry. Yes, and hopefully WTHR is, has been made well aware of that. Absolutely. Lee Walk 7. Give it a six. Decent race and a little variety on strategy. Bit boring from a passing standpoint on front. Various drivers look good on tires or push to pass, but couldn't get it done, especially at the end. Transocean Trojan thought it was a great race. At least eight out of ten. So much passing through the field. H. Sabedra gave it a ten out of ten. Great race where the yellows were quick and caused a lot of changes in strategy. Cole the Show Bear gave it a ten. Anytime willpower gets taken out, it's a ten. And anytime <laughs> Rossi throws the race away, it's a ten. Ouch. <laughs> I didn't feel her. like Rossi threw the race away. I, I feel like he ran a pretty solid race. Just Joseph Newgarden had a better car. Big D cart, eight, good mix of speed, passing, and strategy. Thanks, everyone, to your submissions. All right, you posted this question, and I thought it was interesting. Which remaining IndyCar race this season are you most looking forward to and why? So we'll start with you. Which one am I looking forward to? Yes. I think the, can I say both races at Iowa? Yeah, because um, that's also my answer. Okay, great. Yeah, so I'm going with the the weekend at Iowa. The Hy-Vee doubleheader weekend. Iowa Speedway. The return, the return of Iowa Speedway. Excited to see what the crowd looks like. You know, the concerts there. The racing. I think it's going to deliver. I can't wait. I just hope that the time slots they're running in that don't lessen the crowd compared to running a, a night race at least for the saturday slot and i hope the weather is good not just dry but we've had a stretch here of of 90s upper 90s here in fort wayne indiana and looking at the the extended weather forecast close to and above 90 for the rest of the month most days so hopefully once we get into july there's some break you know i, I don't want it 100 degrees during the day in iowa trying to race a couple races and get the fans there. All right. A lot of responses on this as well. DC soda says, I think Iowa for everything surrounding the event. I'm very interested to see how it goes. Hopeful to see a good crowd. Other than that, Nashville, just to see how the drivers adjust. And if it's as crazy, Vicky Lynn, 26 harvest GP and all seriousness gateway in the double at Iowa. I really love the short track races, but I'm always happy when they're on the West coast too. Uh, run underscore mark underscore run says Toronto closest one to Buffalo until they go back to Watkins Glen. Daguerre says Nashville stadium scene. Mother nature gives us another rainy road course race at Indy when they return in July. That would be fantastic. I don't think we're going to be that lucky. No, <laughs> no, n- not at all. 
I mean, they should set up sprinklers. Yes. I'm, I'm fine with artificial. Yeah, the Bernie Ecclestone method. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that never did happen. Poet Shevchenko says, Iowa for me, a doubleheader on a track that has historically given us good racing, and it will be the biggest field we've seen on a short oval in several years. It's a good point. Going to be a lot of cars. Yes, very true. I assume Ed Carpenter, he's running that, right? All I, the ovals. So yeah. would that give us 27? Yeah. Yeah, 27. Quite a lot the of field. cars. It's, it, so the betting should be how quick until somebody gets lapped. It could happen within 10 laps. Oh, at most. It happened very quickly. N.K. Harden says the Music City GP. It was an awesome weekend last year, although it was crazy hot. Agreed. I think they'll tweak the course, and the drivers will be better at the course, so it won't be as caution-filled. Amazing atmosphere for a race weekend, though. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. You know, if not for Iowa returning, I would say Nashville because I'm going to Nashville. You went last year, right? Yeah. Nice. Zach C eight seven seven one says Gateway because I'm going. LOL. Outside of that bias, I always look forward to Laguna Seca in the second half of the schedule. My favorite road street track behind Road America is Laguna Seca. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Also getting a repave after this year. True. Indy Oreo, John Oreovitz. I thought the Indy five hundred was the only Indy car race. <laughs> <laughs> tongue in Which, cheek. Funny. Tongue in cheek, of course. But I do believe one of the problems is the is it May yet campaign when it's. When the season hasn't started or, you know, through May, I understand. But when we get it this time of year in July, like there's still IndyCar races going on. Like it's one thing to jokingly say it on June 1st. Yeah, I get it. Ha ha. I do that every year. For sure. I understand. But like somebody right now putting it out is, you know, is it May? yet? No, we're in the middle of the IndyCar season, folks. There's more than one race. Laser Disco says Toronto, Nashville. Heil Heil Mike says... Oh man, I'm not sure. Probably Nashville or Madison, aka Gateway, for those who don't know, Madison, Illinois. Yes. Because I'm planning on going to one of those, just not sure which one yet. Well, I saw Iowa was fun to watch, so I'm glad we're going back there too. Very hard to pick one because I love every IndyCar race. Jeff Cerneski says, hard to pick just one, Iowa Double, St. Louis, or Music City GP. Racer Mac RTP1, either Iowa or Gateway because they are ovals. Hashtag Oval Lives Matter. <laughs> Bill Hessa says, Gateway. Because I get to see that one in person. And Hunter's Way 67, Laguna Seca, because I'll be there. Thanks to everyone on your responses on that. And we continue with the mailbag. And you posted this on the TV rating so far. Considering the amount of network races, the percentage growth isn't in double digits by the end of the season. It is a tremendous letdown. DC Soda, not happy with that, says still the best ratings in five years, even with the 500 number. And y'all still complaining. That's what we do. That is what we, well, I do. Is it not fair, though, to say that you would hope ratings are up double digit just by basically doubling the number of, not yeah, qu- not I mean, quite doubling, but nearly almost, doubling the number of network TV races? I would feel, and I would feel our, our expectations for the ratings being up this year, at least 10% or above, are close to in line with what IndyCar would expect due to the multitude of network races. I would agree. P. Gaynor 14 says, correct, to DC Soda. To apply their standard, I think non-Indy 500 numbers would be the better comparison. This total number has had to overcome the bad 500 rating. Well, yes, but the other problem is some of the races are not finishing above, like St. Pete was above and Road America was above, but outside of that, a lot of them have been lower. Right. I I feel the the Indy 500, despite it being down, still helps the overall number. 
And then Indy Golf Cart says NBC Sports having any car in the first place is a monumental letdown. There's always haters out there. I, I guess to me, it's you want ABC and ESPN back. Yeah, I'd be interested in seeing what their solution is. Uh, I, I look, we we have our fair problems with NBC, but the fact that they're putting 14 races on network, and I think they do a reasonably solid job considering the return in in viewers. Uh, I think they're investing a lot more than most anybody else would in the sport. You posted a poll at the halfway point of the IndyCar season. Which points position is the most surprising? 49% said Colton Herta in 11th. 38% Marcus Erickson in 1st. 7% Graham Rahal in 15th. 6% Jimmy Johnson 24th. Uh, Elena Cat 99 says, Ain't nobody voting for Jimmy there, mate. That's about as surprising <laughs> as a sunburn in the Midwest right now. Somebody did. Yeah, true. Maybe it was Jimmy. Zaxi8771 says, I did not expect Rossi to be the top point getter in Andretti going into mid-Ohio either. Good for him, but a bit of a surprise. Who did you vote? I voted Erickson because I found it more feasible that Herta would be in 11th than Erickson in first. I went Herta. The fact that he is out of the top 10 through eight races, I feel, is pretty surprising. But granted, that I voted after you told me you voted Erickson and I couldn't be a follower. You act like you have to always. I know. There's no. There's no mandate requirement. A lot of weird stuff goes through my brain, Caleb. (laughs) Let's just not get into it and move on. All right, moving on. Another poll of the drivers in the top four of the IndyCar standings. Which do you have the most confidence in right now? Right now, in all caps, IndyCar in all caps to win the season (laughs) title. 66% of you said Newgarden, 14% Erickson, 12% Power, 8% Award. I think we both voted Newgarden here, right? Yes, I did. Yes, I, I feel he, and he clearly has the um, the majority support of the voters that we had as well. Also, he seems to end seasons quite well after so-so starts, and I think he's had a pretty good start, all things considering, halfway through. If you had to choose, if you had to bet nine races left over under on wins the rest of the season for Joseph Newgarden set at 1.5, would you take over or under? Oh, man, that's tough. I'm going to go under only because I think he'll get like one more win. I'm leaning that way, too. Because it, typically the champion wins between three to, and five races in any given season. That's yeah pretty normal and that's the thing that marcus erickson you know leading right now the points but he's gonna have to win at least one more race to have a chance at winning the title yeah i mean to me you you have to win two to be in contention three to be in that top two right and now that we don't have to worry about double points the final race of the season is that correct or is it still double points no no double points okay that's what i thought then i feel like you know you don't have as much margin for error going into that final race right so you're going to have to win at least one more race for anybody else to try to catch Joseph Newgarden. Despite him sitting third, I feel like he's in the driver's seat because of the race wins. Yes. And looking at responses, according to Stitch, says Newgarden has not won a championship since the disappearance of the Chalice of Excellence. Coincidence? <laughs> I think not. It's an I excellent point. I forgot about that. Uh, it took me a second to, to figure that out, but I remember. D underscore Mart 23 says Newgarden, Mr. Consistent, been there, done that multiple times. Ramsey's underscore A underscore Perez. If they were only an equal equipment and teams, wink face emoji. I feel like the equipment's pretty equal. I don't know. I think so. 
I don't think there's that big of a disparity between Ganassi, McLaren, and Penske. I yeah, I would agree. They all have their strong suits. I, I feel like Penske is a lot better on the road courses. McLaren and Ganassi better on the oval street circuits. Not really, not sure who I would favor between the three. I mean, Andretti has a great street course package, right? As far as raw speed, now finishing is yeah. different. <laughs> yeah, finishing is a lot different. I think each of them have their strengths and weaknesses, and that goes for the driver lineup too. Laser Disco says, "My brain says New Garden, but my heart says Award." Uh, Fit J nineteen eighty three says, "New Garden two Iowa races, Gateway in Mid Ohio, four races where he will be heavily favored." He's already got the bad luck out of the way with strategy, the Indy GP incident, and killing the car when uh, in seventh at the 500. All excellent points. Also, don't forget Mid-Ohio, Scott Dixon, just throwing that out there right now as well. Thanks to everyone for their submissions on the mailbag this week. As always, you can send us your tweets. You can also email us, newtrackrecordpodcast at gmail.com, Facebook message, snail mail. However, carry your pigeon all viable <laughs> options to Everything reach out works. to us. All right. Time for news and notes. And honestly, not a lot to get to uh, racer.com. Marshall Pruitt reporting the upcoming ERS hybrid unit. will get its first on track test in July. That was supposed to be in June, but again, it's all about the manufacturers being ready. So this is the, the hybrid unit for IndyCar that will be in place in 2024. And last I heard it will be on the IMS road course i I don't know if there's been any update yes ims road course next month so that's the update there not not gonna get too into the weeds with that also talking about new car uh we are the race on twitter the delara dw12 has been indycar's chassis of choice for a decade now and its reign won't be ending even as the series switches to hybrid power but it will quote look like a different car that quote from jay fry which i feel like that's something we don't really factor in is the dw12 is basically the tub yeah it's the it's the safety cell yeah and as the safe safety cell is fine if they don't feel like they need to make any improvements to it then it's fine like, like the body work can change we saw that with the uak right so i feel us looking at this car and saying well we're still stuck with this for another three or four years and we say the same thing but you're not factoring in the fact that the body work can and it sounds like will change Jay Fry says it won't be as drastic as 2017 to 2018, but from 23 to 24, it will look like a different car. I mean, you got to remember new engines. You'll have the hybrid units that weren't on there before. hundred more horsepower out of the box. Hybrid could add another horsepower. So a lot of changes, let alone the, the aero screen. I mean, they're going to find a way to fit that better to the, the chassis. One would hope. Yeah. I mean, that should be a, a requirement for aesthetic purposes. And like you said, the body work will have some tweaks in development as well. So it's, yes, the tub is the same. Will the car look the same? No. I feel like there'll be some similarities. There'll be some maybe things they touch and don't touch, but I feel like overall it's going to look different, which is what everybody wants. Yes, it's that is what everyone does indeed want. Another news and notes item. Indy Oreo, John Oreovitz, tweeting out last week, Indy Split, not only a comprehensive history of IndyCar racing in the Holman George era, it's also the winner of the Dean Bachelor Award for Excellence in Automotive Journalism. So congrats to John, congrats, John. on that. 
Very much enjoyed the book. Learned a lot. All right, so that wraps up news and notes. Like I said, short edition. Time for tweets of the week. Uh, IndyCar tweeting, smiling. Rossi is the best. Rossi, Tony Kanon. Wow, he smiles. Saw that. Got a chuckle out of me. Joseph Newgarden. Little debate going on here. Is Waffle House considered fast food? No. I would agree. Not fast food. No. It is a region-specific breakfast restaurant. I love Waffle House. Yeah. I mean, yes, you can get it in the Midwest, but is known for being in the Southeast, specifically the Atlanta area where it yes. originated. At basically every highway exit. And Waffle House is unique that it is literally a measurement of how serious hurricane storm damage is in the Southeast. If the Waffle House is closed. Yes, yes. correct. Yep. Which is wild, but just a little fun fact for our listeners from outside I mean, the U.S. The thing with Waffle House is because my wife, she's like, it's it's gross in Waffle House, and agree to disagree, whatever. It's not the cleanest in there, but you're watching them make your food. Who knows what happens in the back of Bob Evans and IHOP or whatever that you can't see your food made? Like, there's you know something to be said. You can sit there and watch your eggs being made and your waffles and your hash browns. So I, I dig Waffle House. Anytime I can go to Waffle House, I'm going. I haven't had it in years, but I mean, I do like it. Now, like you said, there are good Waffle Houses and bad Waffle Houses. Even bad Waffle Houses have good food. That's that's what I'm sticking to. Now, my dad, they took a trip into Kentucky with my son a couple weeks ago, and my dad said he they stopped at the nicest Waffle House he's ever been in. And my dad likes his Waffle Houses too, so I don't know how nice is nice, but... He apparently found one in the middle of Kentucky, around Bardstown. If you're looking for the nicest Waffle House in the Midwest, <laughs> I mean, I Bardstown, think the, Kentucky. The nicest Waffle House is like outside of what is it, the Fortville exit off Interstate 69. That that yeah. one's really nice. Yeah, and has always been nice. I know that. That's my opinion. All right, that's our Waffle House uh, Waffle House segment of the week. I don't think we'll have another one next. We week. will revisit if it's if people demand it by popular demand. All right, this from Mario Andretti, our final tweet of the week. Just before dawn, 67 years ago today, today being Thursday, June 16th, June 16th, 1955, our ship sailed past the Statue of Liberty into New York Harbor. It was the day we began our life in America. It was an 11-day trip on the Italian ocean liner Conte Biencomano. Sure. Here's the receipt for the five of us, and he attached a picture of the ship and the actual receipt. Very, very cool. Yeah, how much was it? Does it show? For five of them? For five of them, the picture... 558875? I I don't know, though. Are like they what, paying in lire or whatever? Yeah, is that what Italy is? That's, it's all in Italian, so I, I gotcha. can't really speak to it. Oh. But very cool. Well, coming to America really worked out for the family, I would say. Yes. All right. Random split air driver of the week time. All right, we're going to go IRL this week. We're going to 2000, the year 2000, and we're going to zero in on... Where did he go? I lost him. Well, we're going TriStar Motorsports and Zach Morioka. Who? Zach Morioka. Uh, his his real name was actually Z-A-Q-U-E-U. Zach Q? I don't know. But he went by Zach. Uh, from Sao Paulo, Brazil, won the USAC Formula Ford 2000 Championship in 1997. And in 2000, he competed in one 
Indy Racing League contest for Revista Motors slash TriStar Motorsports. He finished 15th in that race, which was at Texas, the final race of the season that year in 2000, uh, raced in a Dallara Oldsmobile for TriStar Motorsports. And believe it or not, that's the only thing on his Wikipedia page is he won the championship in 1997 and took him three years, then go to form from formula Ford to the IRL and raced in that single race driver database. Yeah. There's not a lot. You it talked about his formula Ford championship and that's it. Yeah. I mean, Indy Lights, 1998, he did eight races. Okay, four, did Indy 14th. Lights. Okay. And just that one IRL race. Now we look at it, and I don't know if he was... Well, Jarrett Schroeder did all the races for TriStar Motorsports that year. Robbie Unser did one, the first race. Dr. Jack Miller did two races. The Racing Dentist. And uh, Morioka did the final race of the year. So I don't know if it was a, you know, let's see how he does for 2001. I don't know, but it was one and done for Zach Morioka from Brazil. This week's random split era driver of the week. And this was the Indy racing Northern light series. Yes. For clarification. Yep. Uh, only one driver, one more than single race that year. The champion, Buddy Lazier. Oh, Buddy Lazier. So not, not Greg Ray who won most of the pole positions. Yeah, of course. Uh, but Juan only Pablo one Montoya. race. Yes, Juan Pablo Montoya won the Indianapolis 500 that year. It was also the final season for the Riley and Scott chassis, RIP. And then it was G-Force and Delora after that, correct? Yep. All right, so a lot to take away. Not much information on, <laughs> on our random on Slayer Driver of the Week. So if John Oriovitz, if he's looking for another book idea, his next uh, quest should be a tell-all career biography of zach morioka this week's random split era driver of the week all right we will be back next week to do our indycar in all caps <laughs> mid-season grades and discuss the latest uh, news and rumors regarding the silly season and other announcements as they come in as well for justin kinney i am caleb hatch thanks for joining us on another edition of new track record podcast Podcasts by Federated Media.